that was just my point is that they see him as a pawn. They see him as more bait and something that they can dangle in front of another team. I know it's a very small sample size. And the games that he did play with Zion after the All-Star break, he was just a different guy. Players in, in our 11 to 20 range, they're not going to be perfect. If he was actually something that was really, really special, he would have been able to do more. Hey guys, welcome back to episode four of the Flashy Stats Fantasy Podcast. I'm Vince, and I'm joined here by Mike, Matt, and Giuseppe. And today we're coming to you with our top 20 point guard fantasy options for this upcoming season. As most of you know, last week we came with our top 10. Those top 10 will be in the description below. So I'm not going to recap them here right now. But just to restate, we're not going to be talking about any of those top 10 players in this. Even though there were a couple of players that a couple of us didn't have in our top 10, we all decided to discuss for our 11 through 20 players that we haven't already mentioned. So one player that we have already talked a little bit about is Shea Gildas-Alexander. Mike and Matt had him in the top 10, but because he wasn't in our consensus, he did come in at our number 11 spot. Matt, do you want to say a couple of quick things about Shea before we move on? Yeah, SGA is a, he doesn't really have a negative category. That's why I had him in my top 10. We already talked about him a lot in the last episode, so I'm not really going to discuss him more. Yeah, he doesn't really have a bad category. I think you know we're going to get with SGA but I still think CP3 is going to be there next year and he'll be playing the same role. So I don't expect any big jumps from him. All right, awesome. So moving on to number 12 on our list, we have Drew Holiday. I know I talked a little bit in the last episode about why I'm so high on Drew Holiday. I think he's a guy who has very consistent and solid production in categories like steals, points, and assists. But Matt or Mike, I'd like to hear uh, from you a little bit more about Drew Holiday here. You're the only one that had him outside of your top 12. Honestly, for stats-wise, very up in the air with the whole Alonzo and Zion debate and whether how big of a role he's going to play. I, I see him taking a hit personally in points. He's nothing really special from the free throw line. He's a decent field goal shooter for being a guard. Average assist, it just kind of depends on what role he's going to play, and that's why he sits at 14. Drew Holiday is a two-time all-defensive player. 2018, he's on the first team. In 2019, he was on the second team. He was an all-star player. He had his highest three-pointers last year at 2.1 a game, 1.0 steals a game, and 20 points. It was pretty easy for me to put Drew Holiday at the number 12. To me, I feel like a lot of the hesitation and a lot of the difficulty people have with putting a guy like Drew Holiday, or we'll talk about it a little bit later, but guys like, like Lonzo or Zion Williamson, is that there are four really solid fantasy assets on that team. And a lot of people struggle with that fact because it's how could you have four really good players in one team? That's almost your entire starting lineup when you have a lot of teams like, I don't know, like the Charlotte Hornets or like the Golden State Warriors where you have maybe one borderline solid, like productive player on the team. But to me, I look at a team like the Pelicans, a team who last year had the highest pace in the league. And I just see a team more similar to the Toronto Raptors or the Memphis Grizzlies where you can have a few players that are really good in fantasy value. And to me, I think next year, outside of Zion Williamson, Drew Holiday is going to be that guy on that team. He still produces when he doesn't have the ball in his hand. He doesn't need to be the focal point of the offense to create fantasy value. So moving on to number 13 on our list, we have De'Aaron Fox, a guy whose young career has been riddled a little bit with injury. This past year, he played 45 games, but he's had really solid production his first couple of seasons. And I know most of us here see De'Aaron Fox taking a step back, having him as high as number 12 on our list. I mean, if you look at the numbers, he is a very similar player to Drew Holiday, except at a way faster pace. Field goal-wise, he's better. 
from the free throw line, they're both very similar players shooting 70%, nothing special. Um, assists and rebounds, very similar. But I think the biggest difference between De'Aaron Fox and why I had him above Drew Holiday is that he's young and I see him having the ability to get better. Whereas Drew Holiday, he's reached his cap, especially with all those points you made about that Pelicans team and having all those fantasy options. It's easier to say that De'Aaron Fox has a better chance to increase in Sacramento than Drew Holiday in uh, New Orleans. I think the the pieces around Drew Holiday in New Orleans actually helps him in the sense that his assists are much higher, so he has more people to pass to. But the Kings team isn't as bad as, as I originally thought. He has a lot more options on the court. It was his first year under Luke Walton, and I was pretty impressed with him. Almost had seven assists, one and a half steals a game, and 20 points. The one thing that I was disappointed in is a three-point shot, which we knew he never really had one coming into the league. So if he could develop something like that, that would definitely boost his rankings. But I see Swipa Fox as a younger John Wall, a really fast-paced point guard that will run downhill and try to get to the basket or create for his team. I think he's a younger John Wall. He has had his injuries but we know John Wall's coming back from another one. So I have Swipe of Fox at 14 on my list. Yeah, Giuseppe, that's actually a good point that you bring up with John Wall. That's exactly what I was going to say. Because when he was getting drafted, that was a lot of the comparisons he was drawing as a really fast, downhill, finish in the lane type of point guard. He did draw a lot of comparisons to John Wall. And that's why, for me, I have him as number 12 on my list because I think that he has very high potential to be a 22-point-a-game, 7 or 8 assist a game um, type of player this upcoming season. But I also see potential for him to become a guy like John Wall, who doesn't really have a ton of seasons where he plays 82 games. I could see the Sacramento Kings, for whatever reason, maybe it's poor luck. I thought I heard one rumor one time that they have been cursed, or that might have been the Pelicans. But the Sacramento Kings had a lot of injuries this last year, to the point where we saw a guy who would be a role player on other teams, or Sean Holmes, become a fantasy god. <laughs> so if we see the if we see the version of De'Aaron Fox this upcoming season where he's fast, he's unapologetic in his movement, and he doesn't get hurt, I think we're going to get something really special out of him. And that's why I have him around 12 and why we have him. And by the way, for the record, Swipe of Fox has never apologized for anything in his life. So he definitely does play unapologetically. All right. So, Giuseppe, I'm glad you got your vocal cords warmed up here because we're moving on to the number 14 spot on the list, which is Fred Van Vliet. And I know I speak for Matt and Mike here and for most of the NBA world when we don't when we say that most of us don't see Fred Van Vliet as being a top 10 point guard option for next year. But I really want to hear from you what you see out of Fred Van Vliet. I know we talked a little bit in our last episode, but why you carried him to our 14th spot on the list by putting him at your 11 and in your top 10 in the last episode. And what do you expect of this next I'm season? okay with carrying him up to our 14. This year I thought he was great playing with the Raptors. <laughs> I already mentioned his lowest assist percentage this season. The assist percentage is like how often you're on the court and how often a basket results in your assist. And that was very low, obviously, playing the two guard at the Raptors with Kyle Lowry. And I expect him in the next year to get a starting job on a worse NBA team. And hopefully that will increase his assist percentage, You know, obviously being the starting point guard. So that's what I expect from him. He already was scoring 17.5 points a game with an average free throw percentage. His field goal percentage was low, but I think it was obvious that the Toronto Raptors 
have given him the green light to shoot. So he was just playing his role. I think that if he's a starting point guard on another team, he won't be shooting nearly as many shots and he'll be taking more high-efficient shots. And he had the fourth highest steals per game in the NBA last year at 1.9. And he already had a game that he had seven steals. So I thought that was very impressive. I thought it was very promising. He's still a young point guard, and I could see him improve a ton. Uh, Giuseppe, I got to ask, we see a guy like Fred Van Vliet on a team with the Toronto Raptors that's very deep, has a lot of great players that he can pass to and all that, which certainly helps his assist numbers. I know that his usage rate wasn't as high as it would be if he was on a if he signed for a worse team for this upcoming season, but he has a he shot 41% from the field this last year on a contending team that he really didn't have to be taking a lot of contested shots and a lot of difficult shots because they had a well-run offense under Nick Nurse. If you see him moving to a team where they may not have as efficient of a system or as solid of players around him, what do you see coming out of Fred Van Like I said, I still think that his field percentage will go up. I think that he was just – he was taking shots at – at Toronto that he won't be taking as a starting point guard at another team. I think he'll be focusing more on distributing than scoring also. That's what my hope is for him. I think his field percentage was very low, and I expect it to increase. As for his free throw percentage, those are stats that are always unpredictable because there are times where a player comes back the next year shooting 20% better at the free throw line. But I don't expect a big jump. I just expect his free throw percentage to be where it's at. Maybe he'll get to the line more, but his percentages, I think, will stay where they're at. I mean, at least for me, why I don't have him as high as you, I definitely think he deserves a spot within that top top 15. But, um, you know, his free throw percentage is good. You know, it's 84%, but he's only taking three a game. How valuable really is that? You know, when your fantasy team's shooting 200 free throws a week, you know, the, let's say he plays four games, the 12 he's shooting really doesn't matter when you have Andre Drummond completely tanking that. And as for that, I mean, just for you, Giuseppe, you said you think that his free throws is going to get better. Does that mean that you think it's going to be above Lonzo's? Because currently where it sits, he shoots worse than Lonzo. We all bash Lonzo for that. His field goal percentage? Yeah. Yeah, so Fred Van Vliet was shooting seven threes a game at the Raptors last season. And I expect that to go way down. Um, you talked about... So that will help his field goal percentage, I hope, um, shooting less threes. But also you talked about how he only shot 3.5 free throw attempts a game, which is a big deal because even if his field goal percentage is high, like you said, those 12 free throws that he makes throughout the week doesn't really improve your team the way you want it to. So I hope as a starting point guard, he'll go to the rim and maybe try to finish at the rim and get fouled more rather than playing the two and sitting at the three-point line and taking three-point shots. So I hope that his free throw attempts and his free throws made are significantly higher the next year. Giuseppe, I hate to continue to bash you here about this or continue to pester you about this fact, but Fred Van Vliet this past year, you mentioned how you think that his field goal percentage will go up because he'll be shooting less three-pointers and be going to the rack more. But I thought about this as well as a player who six foot one, under 200 pounds. I thought about the fact that a lot of players that are like that do kind of stick around the three-point line, and unless they're very, very talented players like Stephen Curry, will not have a ton of success in the paint. And so I looked into Fred Van Vliet's numbers a little bit more. Um, he only shot a little bit better inside of the three-point line. He shot 39% from three this last year um, and 43% inside of the two-point line. Do you see out of Raptors games a certain shot selection or a certain 
method of the offense that is run that is preventing Fred VanVleet from being able to efficiently and consistently have high percentages and high numbers when he does step up. I don't think anything that the Toronto Raptors system does wrong. I think they play their system, and I think that helps the team. But it wasn't his role to drive at the basket. I think that was more Kyle Lowry's role, where you see him shooting more free throw, shooting more shots at the free throw line than him. So I don't think it's anything the system does wrong. I just hope that in another system, he'll be able to have free reign to dribble at people. Because as you saw on the 2019 NBA playoffs, you could see him driving at the basket at certain times, and he's a good dribbler. So I think he has the capability of doing it and potentially finishing at the rim. But I just think that that wasn't his role on the team. And I expect it to be when he's a starting point guard on another team. So now we're going to move on to the number 15 player on our list, which is D'Angelo Russell, which strangely enough for the 15th player on our list, every single one of us had him on number 16. Um, And D'Angelo Russell, uh, I guess we all see similar production out of him for this upcoming season. It's the first time we've had a consensus pick on our list since Damian Lillard at number one. Mike, I'm going to default to you. I know you had D'Angelo Russell on your team this past year, and as a big Lakers fan, you do you have seen him more than any of us since the start. So I'd love to hear more from you about D'Angelo um, Russell and what you Honestly, well, I, one thing, for one, next year, I think that being on Minnesota, his field goal percentage is definitely going to go up. I mean, I don't see him shooting 19 shots a game in Minnesota. Who knows, though? So I don't know whether that's something that's going to affect his three-point, you know, how many three-pointers he scores a game. I mean, he's sitting at 3.5, which I think is a very valuable stat. He's shooting very, you know, I think average from the free throw line, 81%, 23 points per game. I don't know how – my main thing is I think his assist totals are going to go way up with Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not big on Carl Anthony Towns, but I think that Daniel Russell is sitting at 6.4 assists a game. It might be able to hike that up to eight putting my very good fantasy value and why he sits at my number 16 for point guards. Yeah, you know what D'Angelo Russell is capable of, but there's a red flag for me when I see him being on his fourth team in his young career. You know the potential that he had when he played for Ohio State, and you could see that translate at the NBA level. But like I said, being on his fourth team, I think there's something that teams aren't happy about when they come with D'Angelo Russell. Um, I don't think he's efficient as he should be. I think he he dominates the floor when he's there, but it could be a good good thing or a bad thing. Like you saw nights with the Brooklyn Nets where he was phenomenal, but the next day his free will percentage is, you know, he would be shooting like two for 16. And I think that's frustrating as a fantasy owner. Like Mike said, he had a lower than expected assist number at 6.6. I expect it to go up. I think that a value was a good number. And I think that playing in Minnesota, I don't expect him to shoot less shots. I think he'll be shooting the same amount of shots. I mean, him and Carl Anthony Towns will be dominating that team on the offensive end. So we know what he's capable of. He can tank you in a few stats, but he's a very good player. And if you need points, uh, threes and assists, he's a great option. I just want to ask a question just to all of you. Anyone can answer. Do you think that his value was higher on the nets or higher on the Warriors? Because I see the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves is a very, he'll have very similar production on in Minnesota that he did in Brooklyn. So just, I just want to address real quick. 
the whole D'Angelo Russell is has some sort of red flag because he's in his fourth season with a couple quick points before we move on to the next question here. But one, I think that D'Angelo Russell, a couple of trades that he's been a part of, unfortunately he was kind of a pawn in a lot of the bigger deals that teams are making. The whole Kevin Durant thing that brought him to Brooklyn brought D'Angelo Russell to Golden State, and he didn't really fit into that Golden State system with Stephen Clay. And I think that's why they moved him for a player like Andrew Wiggins to Minnesota. So I don't know if there's anything particular in his repertoire that makes him not a solid player in the league. When I see him, I think that he's a very good ISO player. And fantasy-wise, I see him as a C-minus version of Trey Young, a guy who puts up good volume stats. And I think that that will continue in Minnesota. They're not an extremely deep team. Uh, outside of Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and some third name, they don't really have a ton of scoring threats on that team. All right, so Vince talked about how he was a pawn in those trades and there was other moves going around, so it wasn't necessarily them trying to trade away D'Angelo Russell, but it just happened to be that he was in the trade for other reasons. And he used the word pawn, and I think that's the perfect way to to describe him because when you're playing chess, the pawn piece is not as important as the other pieces, as a rook, as a knight, as a queen. And you're more willing to give up a pawn. So I think that was just my point is that they see him as a pawn and not as something more. They see him as more bait and something that they can dangle in front of another team and say, oh, you guys, you know, he's a good player. Do you want him? And I know if I had a player that I really liked, I wouldn't try to dangle him. I know that there are teams that really value, like the Pistons may value Bruce Brown very highly and they might not, they might deem him or Luke Kennard, they deem him untradeable. Like, why is Luke Kennard untradeable? But D'Angelo Russell, who I think is a way better player, there's four or three teams that are willing to trade him. Yeah, Giuseppe, I, number one, when I said pawn, I guess I meant in the grand scheme of the league in terms of superstars. And when you look at a guy like Luke Kennard, the Pistons can say that he's untradeable and can tell us that he's here to stay to boost his morale and to help the city get behind the team. But if we're offered Kevin Durant, or we're offered Andrew Wiggins, or I don't even, or there's any other superstar that's available. Not that Andrew Wiggins is a superstar, but if there's any other star type player that's available, I think that there's almost, there's very few players in the league that are actually untradeable. And D'Angelo Russell has, like I said, just fallen into a, into a situation. And on top of this, I think we might be getting away from the point more so where we're talking about fantasy here. And a player's ability to produce for his team is really all that we're looking at. That doesn't necessarily have to equate to wins. A lot of the best players in the league are players that don't really make their team a ton better. A guy like a lot of us think that Andre Drummond, he got traded for a second-round pick, and the Pistons obviously didn't have a ton of value attached to him, but he was one of the best fantasy assets from this past season. And I think D'Angelo Russell is, again, that kind of guy who, even regardless of how you feel about his own contributions to his team and how his GMs and how his coaches feel about him, he's a great fantasy player. He's a top 15, 20 point guard in the league. And if I were to, if I could get him around the 50 to 75 range, I would definitely put Mike, around D'Angelo. Talking about your question, I think he played significantly better with the Nets than the Warriors, of course. But the Warriors also weren't the Warriors team that won a championship. They were the worst team in the West. So he's not playing on a good team and doesn't change it. I also think when he had Kenny Atkinson at Brooklyn, that was his best system for him to play in. And Kenny Atkinson really believed in him and, and ran the offense to him. And I don't know how it's going to work out having another superstar like Carl Anthony Towns 
I expect it to go well, considering that he's a center and he was able to stretch the floor, but we still haven't really seen them play together. And I'm kind of not sure about it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. There's definitely question marks up all over Minnesota. My only thing is I, I feel D'Angelo Russell being passed between the Nets and the Warriors, it was always well known that he was going to Minnesota. It was well stated that he wanted to go to Minnesota. He was traded to from the Lakers to, to Brooklyn and passed around. So I think he's finally now in the spot where he wanted to be, and I think he's going to use that and perform better than what we are expecting, similar to what we've seen on the Nets, hopefully on a better level. Yeah, so moving on here to the number 16 point guard on our list, we have John Wall, a guy who we haven't seen play in a year. He had an Achilles tear. Strangely enough, me and Giuseppe both put him at number 19 on our list, and Matt and Mike both put him at number 13 on their list. Matt, I want to hear from you first why you have John Wall at 13. What do you see coming out of him after about a year and a half? I, I feel like he's had, had a lot of time to uh, rehab, and he's – I don't know. I – I was really grasping, honestly, at putting him at 13 because you don't really know what to expect after an Achilles tear and being out for a year and a half. I mean, honestly, just for me, I, the reason I have him so high is obviously I'm a John Wall fan, and I think for fantasy purposes, he he just provides in all categories in a sense. He's a very high-intensity player, and I think when you add him back into this whole Bradley Beal system, because honestly that's all the Wizards have as of now, I think he's. it's not going to be as high of a pressure for him to have the ball, and I think his turnover rates will go down because he, you know, his last healthy season he was averaging four turnovers a game, which is very high. So I see him as taking more of a laid-back role, not taking as many shots, and still producing on the assists and rebounds end. So that's why I have him. And I, I definitely think there's a lot of production for him to reclaim when he comes back because there's not a lot of talent on that Wizards team. Yeah, no, I mean, outside of Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans, and I guess you could throw Thomas Bryant and Rui Achimura into this as well, but there isn't a ton of value to be had out of that Wizards team, and I'm really not worried about that. I think that if John Wall comes back and we see anywhere close to the John Wall we had of three, four years ago, that explosive Kentucky guard who can light the league on fire when he's doing well and was starting to develop a three-point shot before he got injured, that's a top-ten point guard right there. But he did just come off of a what some – for some players, it would be a career-ending injury. The kind of injury that he had was the kind of thing that put Brandon Jennings away in the NBA when he had an Achilles tear at age 26. Or DeMarcus Cousins, we haven't seen him at his peak in a few years. And that is difficult, That I really hope that we get to see Boogie producing back at a high level again. But with a guy like John Wall, where much of his, much of his talent, much of his production comes from his own athleticism, it's going to be a little difficult for him to come back and be that same player that was before. I'd love to see his skills translate as he starts to go into his 30s in his career. But I guess we're just going to have to see with that. And I had him around 19 on my list because of the – Yeah, uh, I also had him at 19 for my rankings. It's his comeback year. Um, We talked about his injury. I feel like he should be fully healthy at this point. But something that we don't really consider, um, just not being NBA athletes, is you don't play basketball for a year and a half. That takes a toll on you. It's hard for you to just – get back into the game and go play at the same level as you did in the years prior. So we have to consider that. Also, when it comes to John Wall, he will tank your field goal percentage, free throw percentage, and turnovers. He is poor in all those negative stats, which is hard for me to have him on my team. 
he has a high point total, uh, a high steal total, and a high assist total on a bad Wizards team. But we don't know how he's going to play with Bradley Beal being another year older, being, you know, the ball handler for a year. How will he translate into an off-ball player again and giving the ball to John Wall? And I think John Wall, if you have solid stats in your negative categories, you can play him. But other than that, I think he'll tank you in three different categories. So it's hard for me to keep him on the team. Giuseppe, that is a great transition. You talk about players that you have on your list higher than him that are better at three-point shooters. Number 17 on our list, we have Jamal Murray, who you have here at number 15 on your own personal list um, for point guards for this next year. What do you see in Jamal Murray here? I, I'll talk about him a little bit later. I did have my fantasy team this past season. Watched a lot of Nuggets games as a result of it, but tell me what you see out of Jamal Murray's stats. Jamal Murray has a, a below-average field goal percentage, but it's not tanking you. So you can deal with his field goal percentage, and Jamal Murray had a great field throw percentage. I think there was a story about how him and his dad would practice free throws all night. And you can see how it translated at the NBA level. He's shooting almost 90% at the free throw line. But the one gripe I have with Jamal Murray is I wish he got to the line more. I wish I could use that 90% free throw percentage more for my fantasy team. Because if he got to the line more, you could see him bump up your free throw percentage just as Harden does. He shoots almost two threes a game. And something that I was really disappointed in was his assists. He had less than five assists a game. And that's almost entirely because of Nikola Jokic and his role in the offense. As you may know, Nikola Jokic has a very high, if I were to guess, the highest assist total of all centers. But that also plays into the low turnover rate for Jamal Murray. I think that next year, his improvement will come from taking more of the ball in the offense than Nikola Jokic. If Nikola Jokic is still there, which he will be, I can't see him taking too much of a jump the next year. Yeah, to me, the Denver Nuggets are a rare case of a very synergistic offense where they have a very well-run offense. They have a very well-run team. Mike Malone leading Nikola Jokic as the top-of-the-key, great passing, back-to-the-basket center. And because of that, Jamal Murray often acts as a two-guard on his own team. The stats that he puts up are numbers that we're seeing from a lot of other great shooting guards in the league. But you're right. He has low assist rates. His points and his three-pointers and his free throw are things that I think he could definitely, at least fantasy-wise, could be taken much more advantage of. He put 19 up a game. He's one of the better three-point shooters in the league, but he doesn't take that many of them. He, he makes you know less than two a game, if I remember correctly. And I think that when I picked him this last year, I expected – a higher jump from him going into his season of being 22 years old, having just signed a max contract and a Denver Nuggets team, having a good amount of momentum, taking the Blazers to seven in the Western Conference semifinals last year. But I didn't see a huge jump from him. I'd like to say that I expect another one coming out of him. I expect a jump coming out of him because he is still obviously extremely early in his career. And there is a ton of improvement to be made fantasy wise, but I don't know how much improvement I see out of him. I think his peak for this next year is maybe 20 or 21 points a game with five or six assists and, 45% shooting with solid numbers across the board everywhere else, but nothing and, really. And just to build off that, else. if you say that's his peak for next year, in, in all reality, that's, that's average amongst point guards. He does almost play as a two guard on his own team. So when you put him in that point guard category, I'm sorry, but it's just average. And that's why personally he sits at yeah, the one thing about on Jamal Murray is I think that he has a very high floor. He's not a player like, let's say 
John Wall, where if he comes back significantly worse, he'll drop way out of our rankings. I think Jamal Murray has a good basis, and you know he's going to be over 20 for sure, which is not, I guess, that hard to do, but you know he's going to be in this middle range, but he has the ceiling that could go into the top 10, maybe just barely into the top 10. So I think there's more consistency you have with Jamal Murray. So if you like to go with more consistency like Vince rather than someone with more upside, I think Jamal Murray is a great pick. I would agree. Yeah, he's definitely a safe option. Uh, Very high floor. You're not going to get a ton of bad games out of Jamal Murray just with how efficient the Denver Nuggets offense is as a whole. But, yeah, there's a lot of other players that I put above him that I think if you want to take a flyer, you want to have a player. Because once you get into this, like, 15 to 20 point guard range, you probably already have one or two guys on your team that can get you assists and get you good stats. And you might just want to be looking for a guy who you can get a ton Absolutely. of good production out of, but you don't 100% sure know where he's going to land up. Which is, again, I think a great transition to our next player on this list. We have Devontae Graham here at number 18, uh, the Charlotte Hornets point guard. Second year this past season, second round pick, who had a huge jump, definitely a most improved player candidate. And Mike, you don't see that jump uh, continuing to this upcoming season. You had him outside of your top 20. I'd love to hear. A I mean, if you want a player that's going to single handedly ruin your field goal percentage, I mean, go for it. I, I see him as a player on this uh, Charlotte team that if he was actually something that was really, really special, he would have been able to do more. I, I know he's young and I'm, Maybe I'm hating on him to just hopefully that this pushes him to do better. But, I mean, outside of his shooting volume, I don't see any value in him. I know that he was high on the assist list and whatnot, but when you shoot that much, the ball's in your hand that much. So if he's shooting that much and he's getting that many assists, it's because he's had the ball the entire game. That obviously did not work for Charlotte. I'm hoping that next year they try and change something up to, to make some changes to the team. I don't see him recreating that. On any level. Yeah, I have Devontae Graham at my 17th spot in the ranking. I was a big fan of Devontae Graham's jump this season. I like to see him improve. I liked watching him play with the Hornets, even though it was a very inefficient style and gameplay. It was fun to watch him play. Just a little fact about Devontae Graham that I thought was very telling of his season. He was 16th for most field goals missed, and his teammate Terry Rozier was, was 19th. So Mike definitely talked about how he can single-handedly tank your field percentage, which is definitely an issue that I have with Devontae Graham. But when you get into your, your rankings where you're 11 through 20 and even lower, none of these players are perfect. None of these players are consistent with every category. The reason why they're this low is because they have those categories that make them that are not good. Um, when you get into this range, you have someone like Devontae Graham, who was fourth in total assists and fifth in three-pointers with 218 in 63 games played. He was shooting 3.5 threes a game. And I know I'm going to get hate for this, but someone that I compare Devontae Graham to is James Harden. When it comes to, they have the ability to really hurt you with their field goal percentage because they take a massive amount of shots. Devontae Graham was 16th for most field goals missed, while James Harden was number one. So I think that's comparable. Devontae Graham was fourth in total assists, and we know James Harden is elite with those assists. The one thing that that comparison lacks is that James Harden is the best fantasy player when it comes to free throws because he shoots so efficiently and he gets to the line 
more than anyone in the NBA. While Devontae Graham does not do either of those things, his field goal percentage is good, but it's not to the level of James Hardis's. And he'll also tank your team or he'll hurt your team with his turnovers because he just always has the ball in his hand. So if you want someone with a high ceiling that could really help you in the categories he's good at, that assists, three-pointers, points, but could also potentially hurt you with a field goal percentage and turnovers, Devontae Graham, that's why he comes in at my 17th. I think we might be overusing the word tank here for a lot of these statistics. Giuseppe, I know that you had a team with a lot of centers on it, but you did have Devontae Graham as well. You were at the top or around the top of field goal percentage in our league, and one player more so has the potential to save a category and to carry you than he does to tank you. And that's where I see a player like Devontae Graham, a guy who was top five this past year in three-pointers made at three and a half a game. He had a lot of points, especially with the jump that he made. And he was a great ball handler on a Charlotte team that, I'm sorry, had a very inefficient offense. I don't know exactly the reason for that. They had the slowest paces last year in the NBA which is really strange because if you look at a lot of other teams with slow paces, it's a lot of teams that are more methodical and have older players that just can't get down up and down the floor as much. And Charlotte's a very young team. Their top players are Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, Cody Zeller, and, and Miles Bridges, who we talked about last episode. But yeah, I see that Devontae Graham is in a system that is just pretty inefficient as a whole. And I think that it leads to him only shooting in the high 30s. And I think that if there were to be some change, I don't know if it has to be in the front office or on the roster, or whatever the case, but I definitely see that the issues that Devontae Graham had are something he can mature out of as he gets more used to being the guy with the ball who everybody's looking at, and then I don't see him shooting 37% next year. I see him being a lot more of a consistent um, a consistent point guard and having good stats just like his, most games. Just like his counterpart out of him in, in Charlotte, of Terry Rozier, we talked about him and his consistency. Devontae Graham was just as frustrating to have as a fantasy owner, because he had games where he shot two for 20. And I see my field percentage on my team completely plummet. If I was ever going to use the word tank, I would use Devonta Graham and talking about my field percentage because he had games like that. Obviously, with his assists, there were games that he was very elite. He was over 10 assists a game. But there were also games where he get five or six. So he had a high total because I think he played more games than other people but I still think it's a pretty telling stat saying that he was fourth in total assists in the season I mean I definitely think that's a reoccurring theme here is that like the players in in our 11 to 20 range they're not going to be perfect there's going to be one category that that tank or that they're inconsistent there's just gonna be something wrong that prevents them from being in the top 10 because if you think about it there's really there's 30 starting point guards in the league we're taking the top 20 out of probably like 40 that have good production or have the potential to have good production. All right, so now I'm going to move on to Lonzo Ball, a guy who, much like Mike did in the last episode with John Morant, carrying him into number nine by putting him in number four, I carried Lonzo Ball into our number 19 spot. I see a lot out of him for next year. I'll get into that a little bit. But Mike, I know you had strong feelings about Lonzo Ball, and you want to talk more about why you don't see him being a great fantasy asset for this next year. It's, it's not that I don't see him being a great option. He's fine. He's in this that range where one or two of these players, depending on how he fits into your team, he could be good. But personally, how I style my team and how I want things to run, he's just not a player I'd be targeting highly. I have met 22 on my list. I really struggled trying to find a spot for him in the top 20. 
And honestly, I just didn't want to take any other players off of my list. My reasoning for him is it's kind of simple. I mean, last season, yes, there was a three, four-week period where he looked absolutely amazing. But in that time period, I believe that that was without Zion. There is a big question how that is going to play together. But again, his field goal is atrocious. His free throw is atrocious. Aside from assists, rebounds, average in points, I don't see anything special out of him. And honestly, I feel that next season with LaMelo Ball coming into the league, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Lonzo. And I feel he is a player who does not do well under pressure, especially with all the hype surrounding him coming into the league. I think that, honestly, he's just a player that he's reached his cap, and this is kind of just how he's going to play for the rest of his career. I also have Lonzo Ball low and twenty number 20 in my list, but I don't think you could say he was a complete bust. I still think Lonzo Ball is a very good basketball player. Fantasy-wise, it's hard to have him on your team considering he shoots 57% at the line, which is just below Andre Drummond at this point, and that's just embarrassing. But he did shoot two and a half threes a game this year, which is a lot higher than I expected. For a point guard, he has a very high average rebound at six, but he has a very low point total or average points at 12.4. But the one thing I could say about Lonzo Ball is that every night he's a potential triple-double threat. He could get those assists every night. He'll get his 10 points, but there are some nights where he'll even get 10 rebounds. So if there's anything I'll say in favor of Lonzo Ball, of these people and the rankings from 11 to 20, Lonzo Ball is most likely to get a triple-double on any given night. I guess this is the point where I have to defend my selection of Lonzo Ball, which admittedly is by far my biggest flyer that I have here. Mike talked last episode about how sometimes it's not just about the stats and you really have to look at a player more holistically than just looking at the things that he produces past year. But I know it's a very small sample size. And in the games that he did play with Zion after the All-Star break, he was just a different guy. Not having all the attention on him worked really well for him. He played like, I don't want to say Jason Kidd because he's obviously nowhere near that level, but a similar play style to Jason Kidd when he was on that Nets team where he had a guy like Vince Carter or a guy like Richard Jefferson. If you look at the stats from after the All-Star game, again, I know it's like 10 games of the season, but he was shooting 45% from the field. His three-point struggle seemed to go away for the most part, and he was getting six or seven assists and rebounds a game with 15 to 20 points. Again, small sample size. It could have been just a case of bravado having a hype crowd. And and like I mentioned earlier, the Pelicans have the fastest pace in the league. A lot of that is due to Lonzo Ball being able to push the button on a lot of offensive possession. And especially, I think, now that he has a weapon like Zion, who is an alley-oop threat on every possession. And with having a guy like Drew Holiday or J.J. Redick, where he could just pass the ball to, I think he's going to be a great assist provider. Obviously, he's still going to probably have his issues from the free throw line, although we have seen players who really buckle down in offseason like Andre Jumman and fix a lot of their issues in that regard, which he's a similar player like Ben Simmons, where if he can figure out his jumper a little bit more and he can get the ball in the hoop, he'll be great. If he can't, yeah, he really is going to tank you in a couple categories, and he's going to really help you in a couple others. So you have to draft Lonzo Ball with the knowledge of other players in your team. He can't be one of the first guys you take if you're doing an auction draft, and he can't be a guy that you take and just fit into most teams. But if you have a team already where you're already relying on a fairly high assist and rebound total and you want somebody to take you over the top, I think you're going to get that out of Lonzo Ball which is fairly rare at this range of the 15 to 20 range to have a point guard who can take you above the limit for a couple of different categories on the list. But I see that being his highest potential. Yeah, the one thing I could say about Lonzo Ball is he's a stat sufferer. There'll be weeks where he'll have a lot more steals, blocks, rebounds, even assists. So that could be a pleasant surprise. But just as 
field goal percentage and his turnovers. You have to have a specific team for him, and his other stats have to put you over the edge or give you that edge over someone else. If he could shoot over 70% at the line next year, I think you see him go up on my rankings for sure because that's one of the one category that was really hurting me in his rankings. It's exciting to watch him with Zion. And also, you see his assist totals go up with Zion, not only in a half-court setting, but you see plays similar to with LeBron James where he'll rebound the ball and he'll throw it down to the deepest option, maybe Zion throwing down the court. So I think that only benefits Lonzo Ball because he's able to make those very accurate long passes to the wide open leaking man. And those are just easy assists, easy points for the Pelicans. So I think that that helps Lonzo Ball's case. But as of where it stands with his percentages and turnovers, he's at 20 for me. Yeah, sometimes you just have to look beyond the stats. If you take this past season, I wouldn't call him a top 20 point guard. I might call him top 25, but if you just look at what I see as his potential and what I see coming out of him, that's sometimes all you can really ride on when you're going season to season, and that's what makes or breaks a team, your ability to see the, the players that are going to improve and the players that are not. So I guess for now, he'll have to be a you'll all see type of guy for me. Don't wish that curse on him. All right, so now moving down to the 20th and final spot on our top 20 list of point guards, we have DeJounte Murray. Mike and Giuseppe, I know you guys feel very strongly about this guy. You didn't have extremely high on your list, but I know that I speak for you guys and for most of us when I say that we do expect DeJounte Murray to be a great player. He's had a few injuries earlier in his career, but when he's on that court, the Spurs are a different team. And fantasy-wise, that hasn't always translated, but I want to hear from one of you guys about what you see in his stat lines from these past couple seasons and in his own play style that you see translating into a lot of production. I mean, at least for me with DeJounte Murray, we, we prided Fred Van Fleet on his steal totals and his steal percentages. But if you look at, at least from a minute standpoint, DeJounte Murray didn't play a lot of minutes in the Spurs system. They have players like Derek White. And so I think the Spurs are still, tr- still trying to figure out who they wanted as their starting point guard. But if you look at like from a minute standpoint, Fred Van Fleet played 36 minutes a game, whereas DeJounte Murray only played 25 minutes a game. And he was still managing to average 1.7 steals per game. I see him as a player who is going to provide in that category heavily, and I see a lot of value in that. Aside from that, I mean, he's very consistent as other stats and average all around where I think that's putting him in that top 20 range. Yeah, Mike and I have him in a similar spot in our rankings, and I know why, because we see the same stats and we see DeJounte Murray in the same light. DeJounte Murray was all defensive second team in 2017-2018, which was his sophomore season, where he only started 48 of the 81 games. And I think that's super impressive to say that a player that only started half the games he played in got the honor of being all defensive second team. Mike already mentioned this, but his steal percentage was second overall in the NBA last year at 3.3%. Behind only Chris Dunn, that speaks volumes because, like he mentioned, someone we already talked about, Fred Van Vliet played a lot of minutes for Toronto Raptors. While DeJounte Murray did not play nearly as many minutes as he did, and they still had a similar steals per game. And that just goes into the value of his steal rate. And if we see DeJounte Murray play an extra 5-10 minutes every game, you can see his steals per game go up to a level that will be elite if it's not already. 
But the reason why baby boy DeJounte Murray is not higher on my list is because of his below average points and assists and his percentages are average. So I think he has an elite steal percentage and his turnovers are pretty good, but I don't think he has solidified as a starter like Mike said. I know they want to start with him and he's a great defender, but fantasy wise, other than his steals, the rest are average and then that's okay. That's why he's at number 18 at my list. To me, if we were making a list of top 20 point guards in the NBA, I think DeJounte Murray would make that list over him making my fantasy list. And the reason why I say that is because the Spurs have a good amount of depth at point guard and shooting guard. They have guys like Bryn Forbes, Derek White, Lonnie Walker Jr., Patty Mills. These are all guys that can play the point guard position, and they eat minutes from DeJounte Murray. And when he does come in, he's a solid producer, but I don't really see him getting enough opportunity this next season to be a top 20 point guard. I'd like to see it. He's obviously a very young player with a lot of King City to work out in his game but if he can put things together i see him being an elite defensive player and still not a ton much else but he'll definitely be worth a pickup in any league as it stands right now i don't know my top 20 but i do think that he's a solid fantasy option for anybody if you're looking to boost your defensive stats and you don't really want to tank every other category by taking chris dunn well guys that wraps up today's episode on our top 20 point guard predictions for the 2020 2021 fantasy season we hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did If you want to be notified of future episodes, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast below and to follow us on Twitter at FlashyStatsPod. And make sure to tune into this Saturday's episode where we'll be talking about different fantasy league playstyles that you can get involved with. Until then, this was the Flashy Stats Podcast and have a great rest of your day.